chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. Listen for the word of God as it touches your hearts, your minds, and your souls. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing, go. Sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words, but Jesus said to them, Children, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. And Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house, or brothers or sisters, or mother or father or children, or fields for my sake, and for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers, and sisters, mothers, and children, and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Paul makes a case in Hebrews that human beings cannot handle being fully seen by God. God's word will reveal intentions of the hearts, thoughts unspoken. And you know what? God's word does reveal the intentions. Nothing will be hidden from God who will judge as according not only to the actions, but the mere intentions. Hence humanity's need for a high priest, for a go-between, Jesus the Christ, to make a case on our behalf, to plead for mercy and take on the punishment that should be our own. 
Now, Mark tells the story of the privileged man, the one with power, the one with possessions, the one with wealth and influence. He runs to Jesus. Did you hear that word? He ran to Jesus. He not only came to Jesus, but he ran to Jesus, wanting an affirmation of all that he is and does. And he gets truly seen, truly loved, yet unable to relinquish the image he has of himself for the sake of the one that reflects his creator. You see, Jesus looks the rich man, he looks the rich man right in the eye, and still he cannot hear and heed the word of the Lord. What does all of this mean for us when we feel that God may have abandoned us, or we are in the midst of our suffering, wondering if the Spirit will intercede for us, or we find ourselves on our knees in front of Jesus. Do we really want an audience with the triune God? Or are we really like the rich man, seeking out God, yet unwilling to let God's gaze penetrate into our worldly masks, into our souls. The rich man meets Jesus face to face, only to turn and walk in the opposite direction, rather than give up his earthly security and status and follow Jesus. Notice, follow Jesus. It reminds me of Job. You know old Job, he keeps screaming for an audience with God. In about chapter 24, he's screaming, why don't you let me see you? I want to talk to you, God. Where God finally says, oh yeah? You really want an audience with me? Hmm. What was the last thing you created? Can you even create a grain of sand? I don't think so. So let's talk. Do you really think you know? Because right now, you don't have a clue. Job, you don't have a clue. Rich man, you don't have a clue. You know why? Because you can't handle the truth. Often, you and I, like the rich man and Mark, have no idea what's really good for us. We say we want eternal life, and yet we cling to that which sucks the life from us and others. We ask God a question, but we, like Job, don't really want to hear the answer. Why me, Lord? We know the answer to the question. We do. But what strikes me most about the story in, in Mark is the disciples' reaction to Jesus' declaration that those that have wealth will have a tough time getting into the kingdom of God. The rich man is shocked and grieved. I can understand his response. All his life, his money has equaled access, has equaled favor, has equaled special consideration. 
No doubt he expected Jesus to affirm his piety and obedience to the commandments and give him a little pat on the back and send him on his way. The rich man perhaps thinks, hey, hey, I work really hard. I work my fingers to the bone. I got into a top-notch university. I volunteer at my church. So the rich man kneels before Jesus looking for yet another seal of approval. One more accolade to add to the long list in his resume. But Jesus, and here's the key word, loving him asks that he stops acquiring wealth and status and affirmation and starts relinquishing power and money and privilege in order to follow Jesus, the one who doesn't puff himself up and he pours himself out. This is not what a person who already knows knows the right answers, who already assumes he is living the right way, who wants to hear. He doesn't want to hear. Give it all up, sell it, give all the money and proceeds to the poor, and then come follow me. But, no, no, give it all away, sell it, give it to the poor, everything, come back and follow me. No wonder he's shocked. He's grieved and he leaves. But why don't the disciples understand that following Jesus means giving up all of that that formerly holds you captive? They'll make their case a few verses later, not noting that all that they left in order to be Jesus' disciples, it wasn't, it, Jesus knew that they gave up everything. They just wanted to, they wanted to make sure that he knew that they gave up everything that they left everything in order to be his disciples, wouldn't they imagine that the man that walked away had to lose his life in order to save it? Why are they so stunned that wealth is a barrier to discipleship? The disciples seem to think that if this commandment, this commandment following, and he was a commandment following kind of guy, doesn't have an in with God, who does? Are they equating money with God's favor? Do they think that riches and blessings are synonymous? Are they still failing to see that the Lord is right there in front of them? In all that confusion, in all that chaos, Jesus realizes that everyone around him has missed the point altogether. Jesus' statement bursts their unvoiced thoughts and expectations that reward, money, power, or status will come through Jesus and their servitude. It's a temporary path to a big payoff. Is Jesus making the path to win the lottery? I, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't be about a billion dollars. Again, what would we do with the winnings? Yeah. I wonder if the disciples, like many of us, secretly operate on the assumption that people get what they deserve. But Jesus says it's easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle than someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Jesus also says many who are first will be last and last will be first. Jesus turns our way of operating upside down. Jesus flips the disciples' assumptions then and now. Jesus, who can be saved? But what's impossible for us to comprehend are the endless possibilities in God. God's grace rescues us. God's grace rescues us every single time. Every single time. For with God, all things are possible. Like Job's health, poverty is not a divine punishment, judgment, or crime, and wealth is not a problem either. So many, so many pastors, so many people talk about this passage and saying, oh, if you're rich, you're bad. That is absolutely not what this passage is saying. In fact, it's just the opposite. Without the power and the grace of God, wealth could block the path to the kingdom of heaven. But if we truly, truly see the power and grace of God in all that we do, all that we have, all that we are given, we will find the use for those things in the abundance, the things, the gifts that he gives us. And we will use those things, those gifts, that abundance to the best of our ability to feed the hungry, to provide shelter for the homeless, drink for those that are thirsty, facility for those that are sick, and on and on and on. When we see someone has fallen down, we will lift them up. The example is, I can give you a pallet of water and that will clear and quench your thirst. But if I build a well for you, you will drink water forever. You'll be able to plant crops. You'll be able to create food. You'll be able to create bakeries. And you, but if I just give you a pallet of water, that's, that will solve the immediate need, but it won't help the problem. My friends, Seeing wealth as a problem is absolutely wrong. No, it's not the wealth. It's not the wealth that's the problem. It's what we do with that wealth, what we do with that abundance. It was telling that the commandment that Jesus lists, those commandments that he lists when he questions by the, questions the young man, are those that dictate how God expects and even requires us to treat one another. How we treat one another, how we're in a relationship with one another. Don't behave in ways that injure your fellow human beings. Well, the rich man goes, yep, right, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. I haven't violated any of these. I've followed them to the letter of the law since my youth. I've worked really hard. I volunteer at the soup kitchen. Check, check, check. But Jesus says you still need to sell possessions and give your money to the poor and follow me. 
Following the commandments entails not just discreet acts or inaction, but giving of your whole self. Following Jesus requires giving up, participating in systems that oppress others, overturning them even when those systems benefit you. Following Jesus means seeing others, really seeing them when they're suffering, often as a result of privilege we take for granted. Following Jesus calls us to see others and ourselves in ways that we, up to this point, haven't or wouldn't or couldn't as members of the body. When one hurts, we all hurt. And when one part rejoices, we all rejoice because we're united in Christ. Friends, when we come face to face with God, and we do every single day, God offers to break the chains that tie us down that weigh us down, that keep us from accomplishing what God calls us to do. But whatever he does, he never lets us go. God never lets us go. We are tied to him. We are bound to him. And I'd like to paraphrase St. Francis of Assisi. Jesus breaks the chains of injustice so that we are bound in union. Jesus breaks the chains of doubt so that we are bound in faith. Jesus breaks the chains of darkness so that we are bound in light. Jesus breaks the chains of sadness so that we are bound in joy. Jesus breaks the chains of despair so that we are bound in hope. Jesus breaks the chains of discord so that we can be bound together in peace. And Jesus breaks the chains of hate so that we are bound together in love. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you great thanks for your Son, the one who came, the one who is and always will be. He came because you loved us an immeasurable amount. For that, Lord, we can never thank you enough. We pray, Lord, that as we go forward in these next few weeks, in these next few months, in this next year, that we will open our eyes so that we might see the pangs of injustice. We might open our eyes and our ears so that we might hear the cry of your people who are in pain and suffering and that we might be moved to action as we are called upon to help to rebuild our friends' homes and lives and infrastructures. For but by the grace that you offered us, by 50 miles, we are worshiping with a roof over our head this very day where others are standing in rubble. It is in your son's name that we give great thanks, and yet we are humbled. Amen.